following is a message at Living Savior Church in Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. To learn more, go to lsavior.org. Let's fast forward two, three, four, six months, and all of the resolutions are now what? Gone. Whether you're the type of person who likes to write them down, you're the type of person who really loves the accountability factor and you'll even tell someone else about your resolution, or even if you're the type of person who just kind of has some goals or some aspirations, some hopes, we can call those soft resolutions, every single person looks into a new year and thinks about just a few things that they would like to go better. So let's lump all of those things, whether you're the real hardcore New Year's resoluter type person or you're the type of person who just hopes for a little better this and a little better that, I think we can all find ourselves under this grand umbrella called there's some type of resolution out there. So whatever that is, let's just fast forward. Two, four, six, eight months. You know what happens, statistically speaking, to all of these types of things, right? Aspirations or, so whether it is like I'm gonna get in great shape, or I'm gonna lose X number of pounds, or I wanna see this type of success at work, or I wanna reach this smile marker, financially speaking, or whatever it is, whatever it is, I want better health, better mental health, whatever it is, the resolutions that you probably have heard of, or at least seen the statistical trends, they, they, they start to wane, and by month number six, few if any of those people that really make the hardcore ones ever see them. And so the only reason for bringing this thing up that you already are well acquainted with is because this leads us to ask two questions. First of all, question number one. Every single person approaches a new year hoping for something better. Call it hardcore resolution or even soft resolution. What does that tell us about our current existence? That's question number one. If every single person has some type of longing for something that is just a little bit better than what we realized this past year, what does it tell us about how we perceive our current existence? Doesn't it tell us that there's something that's kind of missing or deficient, something that we would like to see improvement? Question number two. How come then the vast majority of people never realize that better? that thing that they're after? Those are two simple questions, right? You're like, thanks for the really Debbie Downer beginning to the sermon, the new year, pastor. <laughs> Happy new year to you too. No, I think, I think this is a reasonable request to, a to ask these two questions because when you consider that we analyze our current situation and we're always longing for something that's better, and then false summit after false summit, year after year, we never really quite get there collectively as a human race, then then what does it tell us? Does it tell us our resolutions are bad? No, please, do, do your thing, whatever it is. It doesn't tell us that at all. In fact, what it does tell us is that we all know that there's something that's a little bit lacking and we all have a type of longing and God knows that very well because when sin entered this world, he's the only one who could give to us the full realization of what our hearts are really longing for and what our souls are really after anyways. And no less than God himself in his word today and in this minor festival known as the naming of Jesus, this celebration of how Jesus got his name and what that means for us all, God God proves to us that everything that we're after, he who knows that we're after this, and that the God who knows that we will never 
reach it as we only get to the false summit after false summit. He's the one who gives to us the greatest realization of what our hearts are after. And it is found in no one else except for that wonderful gift wrapped up in the manger and then brought to the temple on that eighth day to receive his name and to be circumcised. So whatever boxes you think you have to check this year in order to realize that next great thing, maybe it's minor, maybe it's huge, whatever it is, what you and I first need to recognize on day one, today, is that God gave his son, Jesus Christ, to check every single box for us so that we would never be left feeling eternally empty. God gave his son, Jesus Christ, to check every box for us so we would never be left feeling eternally empty. The Apostle Paul makes it very clear in the second reading I shared with you earlier, Galatians chapter three. I invite you to have that open. This letter to the Galatians is a staunch, yes, even strong letter to people who were given the pure gospel of Christ. You see, they were lost. They were bewitched. They were fooled into thinking that they were the ones that had to check all the boxes in order for God to be pleased with them. They had been infiltrated by all of these false teachers with Jewish influence who were trying to get all of these people in Galatia to think that they have to do certain things and be a certain way and act and check all these boxes in order to be pleasing to God. And, but then Paul came. And with a message that wasn't original to Paul, but from the Lord Jesus Christ himself, God opened up their hearts so they would see that they're saved by grace. That is God himself who has connected these people, Jew and Gentile, to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the eternal God and Father. The one who promised long ago to Abraham that all nations would be blessed through his seed, that is that one offspring, namely Jesus Christ. Now everyone who has been given the blessing of faith is now connected to that eternal family. So God keeps his promise, not by getting us to check all the boxes, but because God would. The God who creates all things out of nothing, the God who can create saving faith, the God who made you and didn't ask for your permission, the God who creates faith in our hearts, he's the one who does everything. So it is fitting that he who creates faith connects people to Jesus and makes other people who were otherwise outside of the family now part of his family. That's what God does. And then, human intuition. There's something inside of all of us that thinks the yeah, but. But yeah, yeah, but I, there's something I gotta do. The Galatians started to fall into that, and so they started to think, there's something that I gotta do, and they went back to that old box-checking paradigm. And so Paul starts off in chapter three, who bewitched you? It kinda, in English, it looks PG-rated. It's a, it's a lot harsher in the way that Paul's writing it. Hey, dummies, why are you guys doing this? Like, you're going back to this thing that's gonna kill you. I mean, imagine if you were helping somebody. You were giving them advice, they had some goals for a new year, and that advice was actually working. And then all of a sudden, they decided they were just going to backslide. Let's say you were giving somebody some fitness advice, and everything was working. They were losing weight, they were getting in shape, their doctor was really impressed, but then all of a sudden, they started to get the munchies late at night, soda all day, every day, fast food stops multiple times a day, they started backsliding into these old habits again. What do you think you would say? Oh, it's okay. That's not a big deal. Don't you think you'd be frustrated when you were the one who was maybe helping him with some goal? That's, you can understand just scratching the surface how frustrated Paul was. And yet, of all the things that he points out, it's not a personal matter between him and them. It's not personal. It's about their faith and what's good for their heart and their soul. Who bewitched you? 
But you know, that's really what the law does. The law is meant to lead people to try and think that they can resolve to be better, have aspirations and hopes to get that thing that they're longing for, but only to realize in the end that you're never going to get there. I mean, if I would tell you that you can go ahead and make whatever resolutions you want, but you're never going to really get, get what you want anyways, do you think you'd even start making any resolutions at all? No. The point of making a resolution is what? To realize something later on. But if you're never going to realize that better thing, whatever that is, why even try? To get to that kind of defeatist mentality of why even bother? Why even try to obey the law if it's all for naught anyways? That's actually... That's actually what the Apostle Paul is saying. The law imprisons us. It's like you're locked up, shackles, chains, straitjacket, and someone says, I'd like you to walk to that reality you are longing for, but you never can because you're chained to the wall. And there's a guard standing right there making sure that you don't budge. Would it make any, would it give you any benefit at all to try and walk to that greater reality? You would think to yourself, no, I'll just give up. That's the point of the law. The law is never to help you. It is only to let you see only you and all that you can try to do under a holy God and all of his demands, and then you end up feeling crushed. That's the point of the law. The law is meant to kill you. It's meant you to think only about you and you trying to check all the boxes so you can try to feel better about yourself and especially under a holy God. How is that going to go? And it's not just according to our own standards, even approaching a new year. These are, this is just a, a surface level treatment of God's law. He says, love everyone as you love yourself. Love God above all things. Have not only pure actions, but also pure attitudes. So it doesn't just matter what you do on the outside in your life, but also what you think in your head and in your heart. So that your entire life should be, for example, you, you want others to be respectful towards you, but that means you would not only be respectful to others, but every single heart motive and head thought would be respectable. You want other people to be loving to you and to other people, but that would mean you would never have a sarcastically cutting thought about another person. It, it's not just that your life should have sexual purity throughout, it's that there should never even be an impure thought sexually in your head or in your heart. That all those that God has put in a position of authority over you, you would see always as a benefit for you and would never chafe under that whether it's in church or home or government. The God's design for your life, the pattern that you are to follow as you grow in faith, is since he's the one who made your soul, and he's the one who knows how your soul is best fed and nourished, that you would never kind of chuck that out the window. I mean, this is just surface-level treatment. And, and by the way, you can break his law at one point and so you're guilty of all of it. There's no comparison game between us and others. There's no like walking up to a bunch of ex-convicts and saying to ourselves, well, at least I'm not that bad. No, no, no that doesn't work. Because the comparison game is between us and God. So check all those boxes. You can't. You're imprisoned. The law served as, as the guardian to keep you enslaved. So you get to the point where you say, what's the point? Why even bother? You're right. That's what the law does. It kills you. It destroys you. Why even bother? So that the only solution that could ever save you 
would have to be something completely outside of you. And that is what he says when he says the faith, this objective reality of Jesus showing up in this world and in our lives. And what does that mean for you? That when Jesus was a baby and when he was given the name that the angel said he should get, the name Jesus, that already as a baby, he was already serving to perfectly live in your place. To check every box that you and I couldn't. To live under that umbrella of the law in order to keep it in our place because we never could. And not only that, but when he was circumcised on that day, that was just the foreshadowing of the blood that he would shed on the cross as the complete payment for all of our sins. Already as a baby, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world as the ultimate sacrifice, he is already making very clear this is what God's plan is, has been all along. As he sheds his blood as a picture of what he's going to do ultimately on that Good Friday that is to come. Jesus in his life as a baby. Jesus already in this bloodshed as a baby is proving that only Jesus can check every box so that your reality is what? A reality that you have to create for yourself as you strive for a better version of you now? No, 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 no. God doesn't leave us to that type of really despairing reality. That you long for something and never really get there and you're just kind of on this rat race? No. That Jesus already gives you this perfect status of a redeemed child of God and brings you into his family. His life counts for yours so God sees your track record as perfect, not because you are, but because he is perfect in your place. We get to see that already with Jesus as a baby. So then how is the way that God did this for you specifically? Isn't that what he gets into in the second paragraph? That it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter the type of family you were born into. Jew, Gentile, whatever color you are, you could be polka dotted. You could have been born in the bottom of the Mariana Trench. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Male or female, there's, none of those things matter. What does he say? They're all one in, in Christ. How? Because all of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. That God took you. You didn't, you didn't make this decision. God took you when you came to the waters of baptism and he put his name on you. Tell me what's more powerful. People who like to make their own decisions or God who puts his name on anyone or anything. The latter, all day, every day, and for all eternity. That you were brought to the waters of baptism and God took the name of Jesus and its saving effect and he, with all of his power and blessing and promises, put his name on you so that you would be his now and forever. That means that the name of Jesus now has effect not just for a general group of people and you may or may not be in it. It is an eternal benefit for you specifically. So when you have to bump into that baptismal font as you enter and exit the sanctuary, you get to think about something that maybe you don't think about enough. I'm a baptized child of God. You get to say that. Yes, you, plural, get to say that. But you, specifically, get to say that. God put his name on you so you would be in his family. 
God took all of the box checking of Jesus in his life and made that yours in your baptism. God buried you with Christ and made you alive through his resurrection. You're now connected to Jesus' Easter reality on account of your baptism. You've been clothed with Christ. You now wear these radiant robes of Christ's righteousness in your baptism. Yes, all of that is the way that God sees you. All of you who have been baptized into Christ have now been clothed with something greater than the reality of a resolution realized. You've been clothed with something greater than this longing of your heart that you will kind of see in some euphoric reality someday. No, 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 no. You've been clothed with something better. God himself. All of his promises made and kept in Jesus Christ. So one could say then that of all the things that you and I should resolve to do this next year and always should probably have just about everything to do with that before anything else. Resolutions for health and wellness, have at it. You do you. Resolutions for your home, your job, your family, great. Have at it. But if God were to make resolutions for you, well, he kind of already has, as he's pointed all of our attention to the one reality that we already have that can't get any better and it's already ours and it determines a reality that can never be changed in this life or the life to come, the reality of our baptism. Maybe, maybe that one should get not only the top of our page but the top of our mind, not only from January 1 through December 31st of 2023 but every day and every year. Because that reality of God putting his name on you is the exact way that God made you part of his family so that the name of Jesus would not just apply to someone else, but to you now and forever. Jesus is the only one. Jesus is the only way that God has checked every box. And that way, you're never left feeling empty. Amen. Amen.